In the Old Testament book of Leviticus, God had asked His people that they take a time of celebration, that that time would come every 50 years. Now, the Jews had come to know this as and call this as the year of Jubilee, so that when that time had come, there were some activities that were to take place. Every 50 years, those who were slaves or those that were imprisoned were to be, well, set free. If you had some kind of property that was given over to somebody else or was taken from you, um, maybe in an opposing army, well, that that property was to be given back to you every 50 years. If you had a financial debt, uh, well, that financial debt was to be erased. If God had said everybody is to take a year-long vacation, now that's something we're celebrating about, right? Now, I'd come to find out that this year, 2015, many scholars think that 2015 is the 70th year of Jubilee, that this is a year of Jubilee. So knowing that, I went to my elders a few weeks ago, and I had asked them for a year-long vacation. They said no. I went to our mortgage company, and I said, hey, would you just cancel and forgive all our debts? They said, no, you still owe. So I figure no and owe means this is not the year of Jubilee, at least not for me it's not. But what God wanted to do is to have his people take some time in their life to celebrate. That was the idea. I can't underscore that enough. God wants his people to take times to celebrate. You know, I'm not very good at this. In my own life, I don't celebrate too many achievements. And unfortunately, as a leader in the church, that carries over to some of you. And my attitude towards achievements has carried on to the attitude of this church. You know, when we relocated to this building, when this building was built uh, through the offerings and sacrifices that were given by so many of you, we didn't do a whole lot of celebration for that. We kind of looked at that and said, well, that is a a milestone. That's not the finish line. And we didn't want people to think that this was the be-all, end-all of ministry. You might take this with a bit of indifference if you you don't know my heart. But I'll sit down with our leadership and oftentimes I'll say, I don't want to be satisfied with what we're doing. And they understand my heart in this, and they, what they understand and perceive that to be is we can do things better. We can always do things better. We can capitalize on things better. We can make our ministries better. We can kill off ministries, start new ministries, and we can do ministries that are appropriate for the congregation and for the community in a better way. I think we can always do things better. But I look at accomplishments in the church and in my own life and say, you know what, that's a first down. That's not a touchdown. And sometimes, sometimes I fear to celebrate in too great a way, thinking that maybe someone might misinterpret our celebration, our revelry, and they think, you know what, they're just gloating about what's going on. And so with that in mind also, I just kind of don't celebrate a whole lot of things. And this is what I fail to understand about celebration, and you might too, is that celebration is a joyous heart which is to be exposed to people. Celebration is a joyous heart which is exposed for people to see. The early church was full of celebration. 3,000 people came on the first service. 3,000 people heard that message, that that message of Peter, and they came and they gave their life to Jesus Christ, and 3,000 were added to the church in Jerusalem. Instantaneous mega church happened there, and they were excited about what God was doing in their midst. They were excited about being with one another. They were excited about the scriptures being taught and they were ready to take in the scriptures and to apply them to their life. 
The, the rich amongst the community of the early church were excited that they were in the opportunity and the position to have wealth, and they began to sell some investment properties, and they began to give to the poor because of what God was doing in them and through them. They knew it was bigger than themselves. They were excited about their leadership because their leadership was deeply admired and respected, and these men had done miracles and great, amazing signs in the name of the Lord. In Acts chapter 2, it tells it like this. They met and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. Their hearts were filled with joy. They wanted to be with each other. They were excited about what God was doing through them. They were taking times to celebrate the victories that they had in the Lord. And in that celebration, the world began to take notice that this little group, this pocket of people who were attached to what was called the way, also known now as Christianity, was becoming strong and victorious. And even though they were small, they couldn't be stamped out by nations like Rome. And they couldn't be stamped out by other religions that wanted them wiped off the face of the earth. And here they are in the middle of persecution able to stand up and say our God is good our God is victorious this gives us cause to celebrate God's doing something amazing in our midst you know this series written on our heart is to help to define to all of you and 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 to to reacquaint it with myself the core principles of this church the culture of this church And you know, one of the things I think I can do a lot better in life and do a lot better as a leader is to celebrate the things that God does. And I think we all could probably agree upon that, even in your own life. We can celebrate better the things that God is doing through us and with us. Corporately, individually, celebration is a joyous heart exposed for the people to to see. First Chronicles chapter 16 puts it like this. Let the heavens rejoice. So let's, let's let heaven rejoice with us. Let the earth be glad. Let's, let's proclaim to the world the good things God's doing so the rest of the world could celebrate it too. And let them all say among the nations, let's say this together, ready? The Lord reigns. Gosh, that's the purpose of our celebration. The purpose of our celebration is not to do the happy dance and to dance the jig and to just scream out God's good, but so that the world will know that the Lord reigns so that heaven will declare, yes, God does reign. So let me share with you just a few reasons why we should, ce- we should celebrate. Celebrate, celebration honors God's achievements. That's a pretty good reason. When we celebrate, it's to honor God's achievements. When Noah had been rescued and his family been saved by entering the ark that God had provided for him, a mode of salvation for him. He stepped off of that ark. The whole world had been uh, under the flood of God's judgment. And a new earth stood, he stood on. And the first thing that Noah did was he sacrificed and celebrated before the Lord. And you know what God did also? God celebrated with Noah and his family and that, that rainbow appeared in the sky. How about when the Israelites marched through the Red Sea on dry ground and the Egyptian army was pursuing them and they get themselves over to a side of safety protected by God's hand. And the Egyptians, they weren't so, well, they weren't so blessed by God's hand. The waters came crushing down on them and The enemy of the Israelites was put to death in that sea. And the Israelites are on the other side and they're celebrating. Miriam, she has a song of celebration that follows that that miraculous thing that took place there. And it almost sounds like, it almost sounds like she's bragging and boasting about what had taken place. But I'm sure her heart just can't contain it any longer. That God had brought them victory and had saved them. That's a hard thing to contain in the heart, isn't it? How about Solomon? 
when the temple was finally built, Solomon's temple was finally built, these people, they celebrated for two weeks straight. They just took off work and they celebrated two weeks straight, the, the opening and dedication of the temple. Or, or how about uh, guys like Jael who drove a tent peg? What a great story in the, in the book of Judges. This guy drives a tent peg through the temple of the opposing commander's head and kills him. And they celebrate because God had, had given them that victory. And in Jael and Deborah and uh, the, the military advisor Barak, they have this song that they come up with in the book of Judges. And it just sounds like they're dancing on the grave of this dead man. But they're praising God. Thank you for delivering our enemy to us in such an easy way. We were able to walk up to him and just drive a stake through his temple. That's gruesome stuff. And they're celebrating it. And they're saying, God did this for us. The, the enemy's destroyed. Or how about, how about Nehemiah when the walls were finally completed and they had sat back and they see how, how much work had been done in just a few short time. They recognize what God has done. And it says they celebrated with joyful and with thanksgiving and with music and with cymbals and harps. They had a time of celebration. Here's how the psalmist puts it. The psalmist wrote, May we shout for joy over our victory and lift up our banners in the name of, of God. The message is a paraphrased version of, the Bi- version of the Bible. And here's what it says. It says, we shout for joy of our victories and we raise the roof. What great terminology. We're going to get so excited. It's going to blow the roof off of this place about what God, God is doing. And I think the fear that we have sometimes as Christians, and especially as a group of people that come together as a congregation, we fear that sometimes our celebration will be misinterpreted, misread by other people, maybe even other congregations, as if we're blow, blow, just boasting on ourselves. But when our celebration is pointed to God, let me tell you about this. When our celebration is pointed to God, and it's genuine, and it's right, Friends, there's always going to be people that are going to misinterpret that kind of celebration. But that shouldn't stop us from celebrating the achievements of God. I don't know if I'm preaching to you this morning. I'm certainly preaching to myself. Also, celebration should, be, should happen because it rejuvenates the attitude of the believer. When the first temple was built, it was known as Solomon's Temple. And it took a two-week dedication and celebration that they had. And the Bible tells us what took place afterwards. After that big celebration they had, it says they... They blessed the king, they went home, um, and, and joyful and glad in heart for the good things the Lord has done. They had two weeks of celebration, they walked away saying, man, God is good, isn't he? They walked into that building, they celebrated for two weeks, so everybody knew God built that building. And they just happened to be the hands and the tools, and God used them to do that. And they walked away saying, man, God's good. It rejuvenated their heart. When coaches want to boost up the spirits of their team, Or when politicians want to pump up their base, they play some tapes of some past victories to remind them that we've done it once and we can do it again. That's why I love Easter. Easter is this great moment of celebration where we can look back and we can be rejuvenated and we can say, God rose from the dead. He's brought victory to our lives. We have forgiveness of sins and we too are going to conquer over death as well. And that's something to be excited about. It rejuvenates our spirit. That's why Easter, people walk out here and say, God is good because it strengthens the heart of the believer. Celebration reminds us and the unbelieving world too that God is real. And that's why we need to celebrate. In the book of Ezekiel, God has just had it with the world because he has looked upon them and they are just dishonoring his name one one time after another. They have no respect for his name. 
And God says, I'll make myself known among the people of Israel, and I will not let myself be dishonored anymore. Friends, you don't really have to stand up for God. You know, he can stand up for himself. You're aware of that, right? He can stand up for himself. You need to be convicted by some things, but God has some shoulders and some legs to stand on. Then the nations will know, he says, that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Let me tell you something. As this congregation grows, so does the target on our back. And the world looks at the church with an awful lot of skepticism. And they wonder why things happen in Washington, Indiana, that aren't happening in other places that are much bigger in population size. And they're skeptical. Is that preacher over there, is he just a false prophet? Is all he preach about is money so that they can just build some buildings? What's he teaching them over there that they want to come in and just keep coming and the doors always stay open? They're skeptical. You know, I had met with some business people a couple months back, and I was, only, I was the only minister amongst, among them. I stood out like a sore thumb. Ministers always stand out in a, like a sore thumb amongst successful business people. I didn't have a story to tell. They all talked about successful businesses they had. They talked about uh, uh, how they were going to expand their businesses. They talked about how much money were they making, products sold, etc. I didn't have any of those kinds of stories. I just kind of stood there in the corner, uh, ate from the hors d'oeuvre table, and then some people came around me, and I found myself telling some stories, but they weren't stories about my They were stories about, about you all. They were your stories. They were your stories and God's stories. I found myself just bragging on God and and bragging on you all. And there were people in that room that were perplexed about hearing stories about Bethany Christian Church in Washington, Indiana, your lives being changed, a community being won over to Jesus Christ, about a growing church that was thriving. And they couldn't believe it. They couldn't understand it. One of the guys who, just by his mouth, by the language he used, I just kind of perceived he wasn't a Christian, uh, just because of his language. And he came over to me. He said, it sounds like God's doing some really great things in Washington. And I could only sheepishly say, yeah, let let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad and let, let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns, right? You know, there's some things, though, that don't need to be celebrated. There are just some things in life that aren't worthy to be celebrated, like your drunken stupor that's laughed at the next day and celebrated about how drunk you were. That's not cause for celebration. Or what the Washington Post was just written about this last week. Uh, They had talked about uh, a new kind of trend, couples celebrating their divorce and sharing it on social media. I guess if you want to keep up the charade that your life is perfect on Facebook, then I guess when you go through a divorce, you've got to keep up the charade that your divorce was perfect too. And they're just happy as, uh, as a lark to be divorced Friends, God never celebrates sin, ever, and we shouldn't either. So what should we celebrate? Well, I think we can celebrate the past, but don't dwell on it. You can celebrate the past, but don't dwell on it. Over the years, we've done a lot of partnership classes where people have come to figure out who our God is and what Bethany Christian Church stands for, and we're quick to mention, real quick to mention, don't get married to some of the ministries in this church. You marry yourself to Jesus Christ because the ministries of this church are going to change pretty rapidly. The songs that we sing are going to change. The ministries that we do, they're just methodologies to get to a greater principle, and that's to lift high Jesus Christ. 
The leadership that you've come to know and have come to admire and whom you love will be changed by other figures whom you can fall in love with and whom you can respect one day. Our methods of doing ministry are going to keep changing. So don't marry the ministry. Marry Christ and His mission. Because our desire around here is to lead a movement, not to tend a monument. And I think there's sometimes when we can get fixated so much on the past that we lose sight of what God is currently doing. And so many of you in this room, you've said, Bethany Christian Church is a breath of fresh air to me. You know why that is? It's because we desire as leaders to keep this air fresh and not stale. Stale air happens when you just look back, not when you look forward. You know, it's dying churches that celebrate past achievements. It's churches that are growing and moving forward that celebrate current accomplishments. And God's doing some great things amongst us. And friends, it can be quite tempting sometimes. In a church that has a long history of almost 200 years of being a congregation in this area, it can be quite tempting sometimes to, uh, to get trapped into the past and not see what God is doing in the future and what God's doing now. We can celebrate the past, but just don't dwell on it. Let's use the past to inspire us, but let's celebrate what God's doing through us right now. So let's celebrate what God's doing currently. You know, this past week, I was introduced to some ministers at a church called Real Life Church in Post Falls, Idaho. Senior minister is a guy by the name of Jim Putnam. You probably never heard of him and probably never will outside of this sermon. However, he's been able to witness God do some amazing things in that little town that they're in there. It started as a home church of just a few people with inside of their uh, home congregation. And in 16 years, that church has radically changed to 7,000 people. They have 5,000 more people in their town than we do, a town of 20,000. We're a town of 15,000. And it just excites me about what God's doing around the world in the name of Jesus Christ and what he can do in little places. Friends, there's no little places. God can use this place. He can use me. And it's so thankful. I'm so thankful that he just doesn't use the past, but he uses the present. We had James Floyd come here in July. You remember James? Buddy of mine, he came and told us about a new church plant he was starting in Gig Harbor, Washington, Intrepid Christian Church. They start their first services this next month. They've already had their first baptism. I'm so excited for James and the congregation that will be growing. Last week, this congregation, we all, out of our finances, bought them a new sound system so that the very first sermon can be preached and can be heard because there are hundreds of thousands who James and Intrepid Christian Church are going to reach out to in the love of Jesus Christ. And guess what? We get to partner with that and be a part of it. And we get to help in the celebration of what God's doing in some place we'll probably never go. God is amazing. You know, he's just starting with them and he's just starting with us too. Our growth over the past four months has been overwhelming. You know, churches aren't supposed to grow in the summertime. That's what church growth experts say, but I guess they've never been to Bethany in Washington, Indiana. We've had almost two services now with almost 900 people attending in services. That blows my mind. I would have never have dreamt that ever, especially during the summertime. Our building can only hold 700 people maximum amongst two services. So no wonder why we've got to go to three, right? If we want to continue to, for God's table to be expanded here so that more can eat of his word and thrive on the bread of life, we've got to expand the table, make room around it. And so a third service is going to be, is going to be available here probably in the first of November. And you're going, oh, come on. At least that's the only thing we have to complain about around here is growth. We're not complaining about dying. You know, this year, 
This year, 35,000 churches in the, or 33,500 30, churches, excuse me, will be closing their door this year and having a funeral for themselves, never to reopen their doors again. That's not our problem. We're celebrating growth, right? It's a good thing to be able to celebrate. We need to be able to celebrate what God's doing. He's expanding his kingdom and he just happens to be using us. It doesn't excite you. He's expanding it and he's using us. Yeah. My grandfather, he had said, never set about building a big church. If you do, you'll probably fail. Set about winning people to Jesus Christ. And if you win people to Christ, a big church just might become a delightful side effect. And while the goal isn't building buildings, that's a first down. The goal is exalting Jesus Christ. That's a touchdown. The side effects just happen to be a good delight, though, don't they? I'm stressed out about all sorts of things in this ministry. I'm stressed out about growing this place, ministering to you all, working with leaders. I'm stressed out about getting more parking spots and traffic flow and working with NDOT and talking to bankers and meeting with architects and general contractors. I'm stressed about growing a staff and trying to minister to them. I'm stressed out about a lot of things, but guess what? I'm not stressed out about closing the doors and wondering, are we going to have church service next Sunday? I hope people come. It's not what I'm stressed out about. I'm stressed out about what God's doing miraculously nearly through all of you and through us, and God just happens to be used us. This is cause to celebrate, people. Within the last two and a half years, God has used us to lead more than 200 people to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is important stuff. That's the most important stuff in this world. And God continues to use us each and every week. Every week, you see either a video or someone being given their life over to Jesus Christ through baptism to do immeasurably more than we ever asked, dreamed, or imagined through His power that is at work within us. God is doing great things right here, right now, through you. Don't you think that's worthy of His celebration? Don't you think that's worthy of His honor? I do. Let's stand as I read Psalm 105. It says, Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim His name. Make known among the nations what He's done. Sing to Him. Sing praises to Him. Tell of all His wonderful acts. You would open up your Bible to 2 Samuel chapter 6. That's 244 in the Bible. That's in the chair rack in front of you guys. You did an amazing job leading us through some celebration. And God deserves it. He deserves more than just one song, doesn't he? For goodness sake, he deserves our whole life to celebrate our whole life about what he's doing. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, what takes place in this Old Testament book of 2 Samuel uh, gives us a, a better understanding of what, what's appropriate on how we should celebrate. Um, I'd like to read to you some sections of the story, and as we kind of wander through it, just quickly pass out pass some few points along to you as, as we go through it. David, uh, who we're going to read about here in just a second, is a man after God's own heart. He is well-respected by uh, his, his subjects. He's king over Israel. He's God's marked man. God had appointed David to be king. And in 2 Samuel, he has an army was had to be put together because an opposing army had stolen what was called the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was more than just an artifact. It was more than just a trophy. The Ark of the Covenant is the seat, the throne of God on earth. It's the throne of God on earth. The enemy had stolen God's seat. And this did not make, did not make David happy. They had God's throne for seven months 
So David rallies an army. They go and get it back. And that's what we're seeing here. They now have the ark hoisted up, and it's put on a new cart. And now they're bringing it back to where it finally should be, back in the city of Jerusalem, so that God can be worshipped there in, in the tabernacle that has been built for him. Verse 2, 2 Samuel chapter 6. He and all his men went to Bala in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. Verse 3, they set, they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Anadab, which was on the hill. So real quick, how should we celebrate? Let me give you one point through this. It starts with exalting God. That's how you celebrate. Our celebration as believers should exalt God. Every bit of the celebrations in our life. I'm talking birthdays, Christmases, anniversaries, uh, you, you name it, Valentine's Day, should have an aspect of not just celebrating what we're doing, but what celebrate what God is doing through us as Christians. There's always room to celebrate what God is doing, and God should be exalted. The ark was lifted up, put onto a cart above everyone else's head so it could be seen, and it's high on a hill currently at someone's house named Abadab. Verse 5, David and, all the Israel were, uh, David and all of Israel were celebrating with all of their might before the Lord. All of their might. Using up all of their energy to celebrate the Lord with uh, castanets, harps, and lyres. Lyres were not someone telling false stories. Lyres were an actual instrument. Uh, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. Now, how should we celebrate? Well, it gives us a pretty good idea here. We can use music as a part of our celebration. Now, music has, part of the celebration has crept, crept into worship. Don't get these two things confused here. 2 Samuel 6 is celebrating God. It's not just the act of worshiping God. I think those are two different things. I'm not going to get into it with you. But the act of celebration here includes worship. Now, you know the church has taken this over, right? Nearly every church around the world uses music, instruments, and voice to celebrate our God. It's just a part of who we are. It's a part of of what we, we do corporately. Have you ever been to a baseball game and you rise for the seventh inning stretch? We all sing, take me out to the ball game. And there's something very unifying in it. Before the ball game starts, we all sing our national anthem. And there's something very unifying about it. And there is something unifying when we open up our voices, as good, as bad as they might sound, and worship and celebrate our, our God together. You know, it's going to continue to be a part of celebration in heaven, too, music is. John the Revelator, the Apostle John, he revealed to us in heaven what he saw. He said, I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and over the number of his names and what they held, harps given them by God. I hope my heart is an electric harp. That's what I heard. I'm saying here today, if you don't like music or if you're indifferent to it or something, you, I hope your heart changes. Before you get to heaven, because there's going to be a lot of music. That's how there is a presentation of celebrating God. Back to the story, verse 6, and let's look through 7. When they came to the threshing floor of Nakon, Uzzah, that's a man's name, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. Catch the picture. The oxen stumbled. The ark is on the back of a cart. The oxen stumbled. Now, Uzzah probably is thinking, oh, no, no, I don't want the ark of God to fall. And so Uzzah goes to steady it. Verse 7. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Seems like God might have been a... had a little bit of overreacting there, huh? No, no, Uzzah knew better. Uzzah was an attendant of the ark of God. Uzzah knew that God had said, you don't 
You don't touch the ark. You don't touch the sea. It's holy. It's revered. You're a sinful man. I'm a holy God. The two don't connect. Uzzah, Uzzah knew better. And Uzzah paid the price, the judgment of God for being irreverent in his celebration or in his worship. You know, the Apostle Paul talks about this in the New Testament that our services need to have an order to them. It shouldn't be chaos. It should have meaning. It should have purpose. They should be well-defined and they should be structured. And that gives you a reason for why we do what we do around here, in a sense. But you go all around the world. You go all around this world and you'll find that worship services have some key elements within them. The preaching of the gospel, the singings of songs to the Lord, and the breaking of bread communion, and the giving of gifts, tithes, and offerings to the Lord. Every service around the world has those things involved within them. In reverence, those things are given. In awe of who God is, those are given. In celebration of who God is, those are given. Let's not have irreverence of worship around here. I, I don't understand when a when a a professional team wins a championship and their city that they're representing goes out into the streets and they're turning over cars and smashing windows and burning trash bins and people are arrested and you're thinking, all you did was win the Stanley Cup and now you're, you're ruining this place. Worship is about celebration. Celebrating God is about being reverent, not going crazy and losing your mind. The world does that. Back to Samuel 6, 2 Samuel 6. David has this kind of stutter step in his leadership, and while the ark has been in the enemy's hands for seven months, he's not real quick to get the ark back to Jerusalem. He takes three months, and he parks it at somebody's house for three months. Not sure what he's thinking, not sure why he did that, but he wasn't being a very good leader in that moment. And so there it sits at this person's house for three months, and for three months that person who where the ark is sitting, maybe in the garage. I don't know where you put the ark of God in your house, but that guy's house is overwhelmingly blessed. And in verse 12, here's what it says. So David finally, three months later, comes to his senses, and David went to bring up the ark from God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. Verse 13 is going to make some of you shake a little bit. When those were carrying the ark of the Lord, had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Every six steps, this guy was sacrificing something. Something was dying along the path before the Lord. <laughs> Tells me that part of our celebration means that there is offerings that are involved as a part of our celebration uh, maybe that is lord take me here i am you're, you're you're wonderful and you're amazing and you're powerful god i want to live for you here i am I'll, I'll be the offering maybe it's a financial gift that you say god i just i don't know what to do i don't know how to help but i i want to be a part of this thing i, I want an investment into your kingdom our celebration should include some kind of sacrifice or offering to give back to god verse 14 now wearing a linen ephod a, a garment David was dancing before the Lord with all of his might. He's now dancing for the Lord. I almost wanted to dance the jig down here when we just did Our God Save, but I know some of you would be like, oh, that's the wrong dance moves. <laughs> and while, while he and Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and with trumpets, so here's this great festival, but I want you to notice something here. This isn't a worship service necessarily. This is a parade event, and they're bringing in the Lord, and there is an act of worship with it, but this is, this is something that we don't see very often, dancing. I'm not encouraging this within the congregation that you dance because what was going on here was a very corporate style of dancing. What David actually did was David pulled aside those that were responsible for celebrating through dance. Like sometimes we have the, the girls come up here and dance. You've seen that before. David pulled one of them aside and said, it's my turn. 
I, wanna, I can contain my feet, and I just want to dance here. And he pulled aside the slave girls that were dedicated to dancing, and you know what happened? His wife, David's wife, saw this from, from her vantage point, and she became so disturbed by it because she thought a king should not lower himself to that degree by dancing with slave girls and being so, this is so humiliating for me to even acknowledge that he's my husband. I mean, this is terrible. And I love what David says to her. Move on down to uh, verse 20. uh, I think it's verse 21, about midway through. He says, I will celebrate before the Lord. And here's the brilliant line of David. David says, and I will become even more undignified than this. Meaning, I might have humiliated you, but I haven't humiliated me because this act of celebration was for God. This was written on my heart. This is what God motivated me to do, and this is how I want to celebrate. And I know it looked crazy to you, but this was my act of celebration. Lay off me, woman, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Verse 19, get into verse 19. They eat. Oh, that's a part of celebrating, isn't it? Who doesn't eat at a celebration? you got to eat. The, the, the worst of celebrations has at least a backyard barbecue. But here's the point of this story in 2 Samuel 6. Celebration is our joyous heart, which is exposed for others to see. You don't contain celebration. You let that be exposed for others to see. And sometimes they might misinterpret it, but that's, if it's for God's glory, let it be for God's glory. Let it be for God's glory. Let's be reverent with it but let it be for God's glory. And you know what the greatest thing today that could be celebrated? The greatest thing today that can be celebrated, all the achievements we just lift off, all the things that God's doing, you know the greatest thing that can be celebrated? You know what, what amazing celebration could happen in just a moment? It's a celebration that can take place in heaven when you decide to give your life over to Jesus Christ, when you decide today that, God, I need you. God, I want my sins forgiven. God, I am sorry for being disobedient. And God, restore me as your child. And you come and be baptized into Christ. You know what Jesus says about that? Here's what Jesus says about that celebration. He says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent. 